0: All right, here we are now, and what I thought we would do today is just quickly go over some basics in Advaita Vedanta. So this is a crash course, very simple, very easy look at Advaita Vedanta. So Advaita Vedanta is one of those religious traditions from the world of Hinduism, and There's a few core key terms that you can learn to understand Advaita Vedanta and to just have it in your toolkit. Basically, in this school of religion, the idea is that the whole world is this big, evolving, changing story with all these gods and characters and stories. And... How all these things interact and how all these stories intersect and these characters relate is the story of Advaita Vedanta. And from that, you have these basic principles, these basic ideas that apply across all time. It's a kind of perennial philosophy. It's a polytheism and it's a perennial philosophy in that it gets to the core of the matter. It gets to the heart of the matter. Now, here are the core terms that you need to know. First of all, Brahman. Brahman is the word for everything. It is the one word that applies and is behind and is in and contains every single thing. So what is Brahman? Well, that desk is Brahman. What is Brahman? That light is Brahman. What is Brahman? Your computer screen is Brahman. What is Brahman? Ah, that thought you just had. Ah, that event that happened. Anything that you can point to is Brahman. So, that's the first word. Second word is Atman. Another associated word with Atman is Godhead or God. And in a sense, that is very closely related to Brahman because God is also everything God-head is also everything, but there's a different flavor to it. The modern translation to this would be... Brahman is cosmos and Atman is God. And God meaning infinity or everything. So, those differences and those two terms are related... But they have slightly different flavors to them. Now, before we go any further, I will mention that a lot of the time when we're doing this kind of talk on the theology or sort of philosophy of different religions, one game that the academics play is with the translation, right? Because these are parlay words and they are having their own meaning from that ancient language being translated into our modern language. And... In some ways, what we can do is actually work with translations and actually go back and forth and illustrate things by saying, well, what was the original translation? What would be a better translation? What would this work to help illustrate this? And understand that this is just an academic game. This is just something that we do. It's another approach to illustrating these ideas. And really, it is just semantics because the ideas are there. The perennial philosophy is timeless. The laws of nature are there no matter what, and they always will be there. It's just a matter of how we talk about them. So, that's something to keep in mind. Now, third word you need to know. Maya. Maya means illusory or illusion. That's how it's most commonly translated. And another way of looking at this is to say, well, everything is changing. Everything evolves. Everything moves into something else. It comes into being. It has a life and then it dies. Or it morphs. Or it has some sort of process. Or it's not really there. Now, here's an easy way to (laughs) understand the word Maya. And this is something that comes to mind for me. Now, the word Maya is actually a very popular woman's name and in my experience most commonly (laughs) Maya has been used for a particularly beautiful woman a very sort of sensual, elegant almost sexy, almost like appealing sort of woman and there's an irony in this there's an existential irony in this because men are drawn to women, that is their desire, right? I mean, most broadly speaking, I mean, we don't need to drag in the full spectrum of sexuality (laughs) in order to get this sort of idea across. (laughs) But basically, this base desire, right, for beauty in a woman is illusion. This desire, this want for something is illusion, And the thing that you, the object of your desire is going to fade. So, you could say, well, Maya means beauty in a woman, which would be right, but not exactly. Because to be more accurate, you would say, Maya means beauty, which is going to fade or illusory beauty. And for the man, as a man, you can take that as a lesson to say, ah, I really desire this thing. It really seems real to me. But I know it actually is transitory. I know it is actually fading. I know that this desire or this sort of feeling within me is just this thing that's happening between this beautiful woman and me. So, Maya is one of those words. Now, from here, we can bring a number of characters ...into the story, such as Shiva, who is the god of destroying the world, the power, and Shakti. And this is where Advaita Vedanta actually stems nicely into Tantra work. So, I have spoken about Tantra and Shiva and Shakti a lot in the past, so you can go and check out those episodes. Uh, But that is just something to understand that from here... These characters come into it, right? My means illusion, and also my is a name. So these are characters that we can talk about to understand Advaita Vedanta. Now, here's another way of looking at it, and this is where we actually bring in the Western psychology. Atman, or Godhead, is our connecting with. The universe. It's connecting with our true nature. So to say, well, what is God? What is the universe? Is to question and to want to find out, well, what are you? What is your experience? And the answer is to, well, transcend into that. Your journey, your story, your life is to become Atman, It is to become God. It is to realize your original face, which is your place within Brahman, which is everything. Now, there's another funny thing to look with this, which is that the reason we don't have this experience is because of a split. And this is illustrated so beautifully in Ken Wilber's book, Up from Eden. Actually, he's got two books. One is Up from Eden, and related to that is A Sociable God. And basically, there, his premise is that we have all of existence, so why the chaos? Why do we feel so small? Why don't I feel like a god, right? You say I'm god? Why don't I feel like a god? Why don't I feel like I'm all-powerful? Why don't I feel like I'm everywhere? And the answer is because of this split Because of this difference. And in Up From Eden, Wilbur has a very beautiful way of describing this, which is that in the Garden of Eden, we had oneness, but there was ignorance. And from there, we ate from the tree of knowledge. We took the the apple from the snake, right? This is the classic story of the Garden of Eden. And from there... We had knowledge, but we were split. We were disconnected. And his idea there is that, well, that split actually went on to become more and more fragmented. And it became more and more devoid from oneness. Knowledge became science. It became industry. It became culture. It became technology. It became Knowledge, our a priori knowledge, became information. And we became more and more driven into ego and separated from the world or from oneness. But that's only half the story. The other side of the story is that there is an arc of actually coming back into oneness. That's why it's called Up From Eden, right? The Garden of Eden is the beginning of our knowledge. It's not the end story. It's the beginning of the story. And to follow the arc through complexity, through knowledge and back around to oneness is to follow that great circle, right? Ken Wilber is big on arcs, right? You start out at one point and then you go through a whole bunch of changes and around at the halfway point, you are as far from your point of beginning as you can be and then your changes continue until you are back at a new point, which looks very, very similar to where you began, but is actually very different. So, this way of thinking or this thought structure of the, the arc is very important. And it's wonderfully illustrated by Ken Wilber in his book, Up From Eden. And he talks about Atman. He talks about Brahman. And he goes into many of the terms and the words of Advaita Vedanta. And you notice that this conversation here is exactly what it says it is. In some ways, it's a bit metaphysical. It's a bit too meta, right? Because what I'm saying to you is actually trying to get back to the exact thing that we're talking about now you could say well is this the right approach is this actually giving an effect and in some ways I'm not really actually trying to give an effect so much as explain something and this is another difference that comes up in Ken Wilber's books which is great at some points he will be explaining things technically in terms of the history and the religion and the psychology and then at other times, <laughs> he quite sneakily sort of weaves in this poetic thing. He starts to speak in a more poetic way. He starts to become more illustrative. And you can, you can read a Ken Wilber book and you can be really thinking, right? You're really thinking. You're really processing it. You're cognizing it. And then slowly... It draws you into something bigger and you think, whoa, whoa, things are opening, right? And that's him giving you a sense of it. And to have a sense of godness, to have a sense of oneness, is a different process to understanding it intellectually. It's a different process to knowing the different definitions and the different translations of the words. Right? It's possible to know heaps of parlay words and what they mean, and multiple translations and their historical contexts, and yet to not be able to have this sense of oneness, to have this sense of non-location experiencing. These are two different endeavors. So, at least now you've had this explained to you. (laughs) Now you know what you're working with, with Advaita Vedanta. And you don't necessarily need Hinduism as a theory for your own transcendence. It is just one system that you can use. And if it appeals to you, then go for it. A lot of people have found amazing things through Hinduism. I've found amazing things. I'm grateful that I understand these things. I'm very grateful that I have these ways of thinking to help me with my own experiences, with my own life, with my own self-knowledge. So it's very much well worth studying. It's very much well worth knowing about. So that's a little bit of a crash course introduction to Advaita Vedanta. And if you'd like to go deeper on this sort of stuff, and you'd like to know about transcendence and different levels of human consciousness, then I invite you to enroll in my online course, which is Applied Developmental Psychology. And in that, we go through a number of different systems of psychology, both Western and Eastern, and we look at... Dozens of levels of consciousness and how they all relate. It's a comprehensive guide and it's applied. So you actually have it applied to your life. It is for your own personal development. So go ahead and enroll in that course. Thanks very much for tuning in. We'll be back soon with more. And that's all I have to say for now. Hey, I'm making a video. No, 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 you can't come in. Hello. You want to be in it? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my friend turned up. Hello, everybody. I was making a video and uh, he called out, but it was the end of the video. So I said, Hey, I'm making a video. Uh, why were you calling out? I just wanted to ask if you want a coffee. I'm going to get you. (laughs) Okay, uh, I'll turn this off. Thanks for being in the video. No worries, man. Thanks for inviting me. Bye, everyone. Bye.